0: You would take your Bibles and turn to 1st Samuel chapter 2. We're going to look at two passages of scripture this morning. 1st uh, Samuel, uh, we're going to look at 1st Samuel first and then we will end with Matthew chapter 18. Normally I do not give an introduction to why I'm preaching a sermon, but I will this morning. It'll be very, very quick is um, if you've seen anything in the news that you have uh, heard that uh, there's a scandal that lots of uh, priests were caught and outed because they were molesting children and uh, those types of things. And then I get into work on Tuesday morning. I already have my sermon planned for this week. And I got in Tuesday morning and I opened up for my devotions to 1 Samuel, I got to chapter 2 and said, hold it a second, Lord, you are trying to show me something. And when you see what 1 Samuel chapter 2 says and following says, and then you put it with what is happening today, you will realize that things that are happening today are not new. And as I looked at it, First uh, Samuel uh, doesn't have to do with children, but Matthew 18 does. So you're going to hear me, and I'm going to do this very quickly. It's not be like a long, drown-out sermon. But I'm going to deal with some very specific issues. By the way, if anybody leaves here and says, Pastor Paul was up front picking on the Roman Catholic Church, I am not doing that. I don't agree with their doctrine or any of that kind of thing. But I'm not picking on them, because here's the deal. And here's the thing of where the sermon title comes from. Anyone who claims the name of Christ anyone who stands in front of other people, anyone who is a spiritual leader has a higher standard that they need to live to. That includes Catholics, of course, but it includes me. It includes you. I don't care if you're a Sunday school teacher or a youth leader. I don't care if you're an elder here or a servant here. I don't care where it is. You lead a small Bible study at work. I don't care what it is. If you stand up and you proclaim the name of Christ, you become a spiritual leader, and you are held to a higher standard. That is my bottom line. Now, obviously in the news, I'm going to say a few things that will look maybe different than that. But the point is, any form of sexual harassment is wrong. We've had to deal with that at Garden Chapel. It's not a fun thing to deal with. Any inappropriate moral or ethical actions are dead wrong. There's no excuses whatsoever at all. And so we need to be reminded, and I will remind you again in the future of this sermon, is that every person that has claimed the name of Christ, if you are a born-again believer, you are a priest. Not an Old Testament-type priest. You are a priest in the church. You are a part of the kingdom and you are part of the work that God wants to do. So the more privilege, the more knowledge, the more acknowledgement that you have, that people acknowledge you, the more responsibility you have, the higher the standard of conduct, conduct you need to live by. That is the bottom line of all of this. Now, obviously, sexual abuse of minors is even worse yet. Because there are us adults who, if someone harasses us, we can look that person in the eye and say, get lost. You know, we, we can stand up for ourselves. The law as well as the Bible makes a differentiation between young people who are naive and vulnerable. They don't have the experience or the knowledge to know things. We also teach people to respect those who are in leadership. To trust them. Let's face it. The biblical concept of of a spiritual leader is one who's a shepherd. Shepherd, follow the sheep. That's a good thing to teach people. To show respect and give honor where it's due. That is absolutely a correct way of thinking. But if someone takes that position of responsibility and honor, privilege, and they abuse it that's worse. All sexual harassment or sexual abuse or all immorality is wrong. But when you are in a position where people look to you for guidance, especially biblical guidance, you are held to a higher standard. I know that because I've read the scripture, and uh, you will see that here in a few moments. Obviously, in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, it has gone to greater depths that have been found out. It happens in all churches. I'm going to tell you. I I know people that that come to this church who have been sexually harassed in the past by their pastor. You know what they did? They moved them to another place. That's horrible. Let me show you what I mean by this. Um, A lot of times, and I'm just quoting the verse where it basically says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly a ravenous wolf. Now, when we see that passage, we usually have this idea, and if you look it up, you'll see it's a sheep with a wolf's head on it. That is not the biblical picture. I still know that's a wolf. This is the biblical picture. You don't have a clue on the outside. That's somebody you've been taught to trust. Somebody you should be able to look up to, to teach you truths from the Word of God, to be a a moral, ethical standard, a spiritual person that you can look up to. The Apostle Paul could say, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's the way it should be. The problem is, when that gets violated, there is a higher standard that those people are held to. I propose to you that most of you are... Are a spiritual leader in one way or the other. If you're a father or a mother, you're guaranteed you better be a spiritual leader. Uh, just the other things I mentioned, we need to make sure that we hold ourselves. We don't just point a finger and say, Roman Catholic Church should have dealt with that. They should have, yes. But we need to hold ourselves to that kind of standard. And you're going, Paul, why are you telling this? We all know that. We've been here. We know what the Bible says. Two things. One, we need to be reminded because not one single one of us is immune from one decision, one step, one whatever in the wrong direction and we become part of the problem. Second of all, we need to stand up. We need to speak out. We need to be salt and light in this world. I'm going to end this whole service praying that direction that we would be salt and light to a world that really needs to be tasteful and they need light. And so with that as a background, let's look. At, I'm just going to bring a few things up that uh, apply because you might say, how, do I, how should I look at this? I'm just going to give you a few things. Remember, if it applies to the Roman Catholic Church, it applies to every believer, anyone who says they're a spiritual leader. It applies to them right across the board. First of all, any system that gives special godlike character and power to its leaders is flawed. Whatever you do, if you're new here, do not call me Reverend Paul or Mulfair or any of those kinds of things. I get that when I go to funerals. They put it on the card, Reverend Paul Mulfair. It just bugs the daylights out of me because I know what the Bible says. The Bible says holy and reverent is God's name. That's not me. I hope I live a holy life, and I endeavor to do so, but I'm not reverent. Second thing, don't call me father. I just did a funeral and um, there was a Catholic priest that was participating. I don't know if I offended him. I really don't care because I introduced him as pastor. Uh, there's no way I'm using the term father because guess what? Anytime you give godlike characters or attributes to a man, that's a problem. And in the Catholic Church, they absolutely do that. They give a special place above and beyond this clergy laity thing is they have a special ability above and you they they represent christ alter christus which simply means they're another christ absolutely cannot be a part of that so anyway any system that does it why should we look up spiritual leaders the answer is yes But when you give them powers and attributes and and characters that that don't belong to a human being, there's a problem. And right then and there, that raises the stakes. Any system that gives a pass to the ethics and morals of the leaders is absolutely flawed. You already heard me say, it needs to be higher, not lower. Here's what happens. When you're in leadership, you go, I busted, busted my back. I gave all these hours. I did this. I went over. Nobody appreciates it. You know what? I can cut myself some slack. People should cut me some slack. No, no, a thousand times no. You still live to a standard that people can look up to, not that they have to look down to. Any system that has an unbiblical regulation of marriage possibilities in its leadership is flawed. In fact, is in the Catholic Church. It is a only in the last thousand years that they said you can't, you can't be a priest if you're married. That wasn't that way from the beginning. Peter was married, and they look back and say, and they're wrong, but they look back and say Peter was the first pope. He was married. You had a mother-in-law. You don't get a mother-in-law without being married, in case anybody didn't know that yet. Uh, that's the way it works. The point is, uh, and they also, um, any system that covers up immorality, of their workers is flawed. Whether it's not dealt with or whether they move them to a different place so that uh, they don't have to deal with it is absolutely wrong. And I'm telling you, if you want to be a spiritual leader at Garden Chapel or any place that holds up the Bible, you will have to deal with things you never wanted to deal with and never wish you had to deal with in your life. That's just the way it is. So just putting that there what is good for one is good for everyone. So don't point fingers. Because remember, when you point one finger that way, you've got three pointing back at you. Anytime you hold anybody to a high standard, and you should, remember, you have to live at least to that standard or higher. Because that's the biblical concept of what we need to look at. So, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 2. I am not going to preach an exposition of this. I am simply going to look at the overall principle that is here. You will know, and and you do know most likely, because you've read this or you've heard the story many times, is that Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and uh, they were priests. A priest is one who comes to God on behalf of the people. That's what they do. Particularly, they take the offerings, the sacrifices from the people, bring them in and offer them on behalf of the people to God. They have a ministry of bringing people to God. When I said earlier that every born-again believer is a priest, that means every one of you that are born again have a ministry of bringing people to God. That's the bottom line. How do we do that? Not on our own. But we have the finished, complete, and perfect work of Jesus Christ to offer them. That's what Marie was talking about when they went to uh, Panama. It doesn't matter. Or last week, I understand, Hunter uh, gave an update from Uganda. Wherever you go, you're bringing the good news. You're bringing people from where they are to God. That's the work of a priest. All of us have that responsibility so when you look at the old testament we're not old testament priests but when you look at this and you apply it to us by way of uh, application you understand we need to hold ourselves to a higher standard the church needs to hold those that minister to a higher standard first of all these two men who were the sons of eli eli by the way was good guy he just didn't have control of his son nor the sons, nor the ministry, but it says in chapter uh, two verse 12. "Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord, and the custom of the priests with the people. Here's the three things that you can look at. First of all, it says they were worthless men. They had a failure to do what it was of value. That's what it comes out. They were destructive. Another way of saying it is they were wicked. They didn't use what was in their power. And that made them wicked. It wasn't they just did nothing. They took what was in their power and didn't use it in an honorable, valuable way. That's the first thing. It says they didn't know the Lord. I don't know. Were they unbelievers? I'm not sure about that. But here's what I do know. By the way, it could include that. But it means that they simply did not live out and did not acknowledge God for who he is. God is a tri-holy God. Holy, holy, holy. They did not acknowledge that. They despised the God that they purported to be serving. And didn't live in such a way to reflect the God. Remember, the God you serve is the way you live. That's the way it works. Look at uh, Moses and the golden calf, and you'll find out what I'm talking about. And then it says they didn't know the custom of the priests with the people. I'm just going to tell you this. They knew what their job was, but they didn't use common sense at all. They, they simply said, you know what? We're going to do whatever we want to do. Now, how do I know? And why can I say that? And it doesn't say common sense there. But they didn't do what they knew they were supposed to do. They didn't live within the parameters of their ministry. They simply didn't do that. What did they do? Number two, they took advantage of the people who came to worship. Here's what it comes down to. There is no doubt about it in the scripture. Part of the priest's paycheck was parts of cuts of the meat that was given as a sacrifice. Parts of, very distinctly spelled out, how it was to be done and what parts and all that. All spelled out in the rest of Scripture. I'm not going to go over that. But here's what they would do. They would come in and they would be boiling or whatever with the meat. And they would come in and they would take a three-pronged fork, reach in, and get what they wanted selfishly. Now, some of that may have ultimately been theirs but they went ahead. They didn't do it in the right order. Didn't use any common sense. It's like, oh, this is an offering unto the Lord. Oh, we get a part of that, but they went ahead of that. And so they took advantage of the people. You say, well, is that all that bad? No, here's what else they did. Because the requirement under law was the fat had to be burned and the meat had to be, you know, all done correctly. They'd say, hey, we don't want the meat after it's been cooked or after the fat's been burned off or any of those things. We want you to give it to us raw. That's the way we want it. We want it. Notice it's totally self-centeredness and selfish in ministry. The moment you start looking at it, well, I deserve this or it's okay for me, you are already out of order. It doesn't matter what the area is, you're already out of order. In this case, it was just being plain old selfishness and it goes further than that. It says that they despised the, the uh, they despised the God uh, that the people came to worship. In verse seventeen, it says it this way: "Thus, the sin of the young men—that's the two two priests—was very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. In other words, they looked down on ministry." It was the means of support. It wasn't serving God. It wasn't serving people. It wasn't bringing people to the Lord. It was serving themselves. And when you do that and you use ministry for selfish purposes, God's against you. Because the ministry is to reflect who God is. That is not a reflection of who God is. In the New Testament, it goes uh, way beyond that. And in the New Testament, it says, if you're going to serve the Lord in the church, you don't do it for money gain. You don't do it in covetousness. In fact is, you do it in a blameless and a way that has a good reputation. If you want to find that, go to First, first Timothy chapter 3, and you will find what I just said is there. But it didn't stop there because they went beyond that. Because in that whole thing, they despised the, the God that the people came to worship and they despised the people in the process. Because there was a group of women who dedicated themselves to serving the Lord. Back in Exodus chapter 38, verse uh, 8, it made that clear that there was a group of women who were dedicated to serving the Lord at the temple. They didn't do what the priests did. Uh, I was talking to Peter about what I was going to preach. and He says, yeah, they were the cleaning crew for the tabernacle. I'm not telling you that's what they did, but that was probably a part of what they did. They were dedicated to that. They had a ministry. It was behind the scenes. And guess what these guys were doing? They were having sex with the temple workers. Yeah. These are the leaders. These are the priests. And they are totally out of bounds. And they're, they're basically despising the ministry. And in so they reflect that they despise the God. They say that they're helping people to worship. It's just absolutely not okay. And God is going to fulfill His purposes one way or the other. In fact is, if you think you can get away with immorality or unethical behavior as a spiritual leader, and all of you should be, God says, no, no, I'll get my work done. That's no problem. But there is a price to be paid. What you sow is what you reap. He said, the two sons are going to die in one day, and their dad died right after that. And he also said, you know what? There will be no one from this family serving at the altar. Later on, there was another priest. They were Their family line was x out from being priests. And another person um, later on was brought in. You know what? Their family legacy. The privilege they had of serving the Lord was gone. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. You might go, wow, that's harsh. No doubt about it, that's harsh. Here's what I do know. There is also redemption. There is forgiveness. There is restoration. But here's what I will also tell you, that when you are involved in those kinds of things, you will x yourself out of some types of ministry. Doesn't mean God won't forgive you. Doesn't mean you cannot do other things to serve the Lord. But if you're a leader and you have disqualified yourself, look in the New Testament if you don't believe that continues on to this day is you can disqualify yourself for ministry the apostle paul said hey after i've ministered everybody else i don't want to be disqualified he knew that he had the possibility of doing things that would disqualify doesn't mean god wouldn't forgive him and restore his relationship but he would also ruin future possibilities in this case it was not only for them they died god told them they would die If you remember, they took the ark into battle, which they shouldn't have done. I mean, uh, sin loves company. They go from one sin to the other. So they're selfish, they're immoral, and then they really despise the whole idea of worshiping God and the tabernacle, and they take the ark into battle. Of course, that causes a huge problem uh, for Israel. I'd like to go because what we see in the news today goes a step further. I'm going to only have one slide here, and I'm going to just go over and turn to Matthew chapter 18. If you've never seen chapter, Matthew chapter 18 in this light, I propose to you, it fits. It's not the only thing you can see there, but it absolutely fits, because here's what it says. And this is Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Is it John the Baptist? Is it Moses? Is it Abraham? Is it David? All of those huge people in the Bible. He doesn't do that. He says to a child, come here. Calls the child to himself, sets him before them. He says, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Notice, the most vulnerable and children aren't innocent. They're born sinners. But the least <laughs> messed up at that point, because they haven't had enough life to mess up like we have, is the least. He brings them before him and says, these people, unless you change your mind, unless you're converted, you turn around, because they were trusting all kinds of things at that point yet. And he says, unless you turn around, you become like children. By the way, he didn't say childlike, immature. But childlike in the sense of vulnerable and trusting uh, because that's the way it is. I I know my children would, would do almost anything I ask them to do because they knew dad's going to come through and catch them or whatever it happens to be. I'm not going to try to hurt them. You know, become like children. Don't trust the father. He said you need to be trusting. And then he goes on to say, and whoever humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. A humble person is not someone who walks around, and this is an insecure person. I'm a nobody. I can't do anything. God can't use me. I have no ministry. I'm worthless. That is not a humble person. That's a person that's just simply insecure and doesn't know who they are. A humble person is like Moses and Aaron. They were leaders of two to three million people. And you know what? When things got hard, they fell down on their face before the Lord. I always joke that they had dirty faces all the time because the people were so miserable they were dealing with. They were falling down. Lord, we can't do this. Here's what a humble person comes down to. A humble person knows who they are and whose they are and who they are not. So a humble person is simply someone who knows who they are. They know where their power is. The power is in Jesus Christ. it's in the shed blood of Christ. that's what we've been singing about this morning. But they also know they have a responsibility, and that's the whole thing. They had to change their thinking. They had to trust Christ explicitly, uh, implicitly, I'm sorry and they needed to humble themselves and realize you can't do it on your own, but you can do it through Christ. Then he goes on to say in verse 5, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it is better for him that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck and that he be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks will come. But woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. Notice, those that are most vulnerable, he says, they need the most protection. We need to stand up, individually and purposefully ourselves. But we also need to take a stand and say, We are never going to cover this kind of nonsense, this kind of sin, this kind of immorality, this kind of unethical behavior. We will never stand by and kind of sweep it under the rug. We won't do that. We have to confront it, have to deal with it. Is it fun? I'll guarantee you it is not. It is not fun. But notice he says it'd be better for a heavy millstone, two kinds of millstones in the Bible. One is the small one that a, a woman might use to grind some uh, flour to make a, a loaf of bread. But then there's the other millstone, the heavy millstone that required a donkey. You know, one of those things you've seen those things it required a donkey. It was that heavy. Now you might, if you're a really strong swimmer, be able to swim with a small millstone. I would not. I drowned. But you put a heavy one on, you're going down. You're not coming back up. That's the whole thing. Covering it up is not, a, not an option. Stumbling someone who has been taught to look up to you. Someone who should be able to look at your example and say, Hey, I want to I have a relationship with the Lord like Pastor Paul or whoever you are. You know, causing that person to stumble? He says, not an option. Not an option at all. Because he said, whoa, to that man. Fact is, one last thing. He says, you know what? Think about this. If your hand offends you, you'd be better off cutting it off. Now, he is not telling you to go mutilate yourself. I'm just saying. He he looks at it this sternly. Your eye is going in the wrong direction and leading you in the wrong direction. You'd be better off poking it out. That's what the Bible says. It it covers a lot of things besides this. But that's the context. Stumbling a child. You know what? You'd be better off in life with two hands missing. Two eyes out. Because he says, there is a price to be paid. Again, as as the men gather... I want to make it clear. This is not simply harsh, legalistic judgment, which it is. But there's something more. Because remember, the Apostle Paul, who killed Christians, he was forgiven. What we're doing today is God's way of reminding us of the great work. He is the one. They cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He paid the ultimate price. He gave his body. He shed his blood. The blood was given for the forgiveness of sins. doesn't matter what you've done. You can be forgiven. But you may lose some of the opportunities you had before. It doesn't mean you can't serve the Lord. It simply means we need to be really adamant that... We have to take God's standards and see them the way God sees them. He judges sin. Eli's sons, they never got to minister again. They were dead. I'm not saying he's going to do that to any of you. I'm just saying God has that option if he wants to. You can also disqualify yourself for ministry. Those things. But it doesn't mean you're disqualified from the forgiveness and the renewing that comes through the work of Christ. As the men come forward, just bow your head. You know what? I don't know what it is. You might have something in your life, and it may not be abuse of children, but there may be something in your life, and the Bible is clear, that we need to eat and drink in a worthy manner that you need to confess. You need to get it right between you and the Lord. Just take a moment in that direction.